Now today we uh, continue our series in the book of Daniel. And we are titling this series, Positioned for a Purpose. That God has positioned each and every one of us for a purpose. You and I are here for a purpose. It's not an accident that you're here this morning or that you're even here on this planet. God has you here for a purpose. Now today I want to focus in on this idea. Focus on God's kingdom. Focus on God's kingdom. Now chapter 7 in the book of Daniel is a turning point in the book. In the first six chapters, we heard of God's intervention with different people, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and how God preserved them. We heard these stories of pagan kings proclaiming the power of the living God. And now we move into this area of more prophecy and end times. Now, a reminder where we are on the Bible timeline. We are in the period of exile. And exile is that period where, if you're familiar with the history of the Jewish nation, there was 12 tribes of Israel, which were living in this piece of land. And the 10 northern tribes at this time had been taken over by Assyria and taken away into captivity. Assyria then repopulated those 10 northern tribe lands with different people. Now, the two southern tribes, Benjamin and uh, and uh, I just forgot the other name, Benjamin and um, Judah. There we go. I was like, line of Judah. Uh, Benjamin and Judah were now taken away by Babylon into captivity. So the land that Israel had, had been devastated. The people had been scattered all over the world. And they are in this period of exile in the nation of Babylon and then under the rule of the Persian Empire. Now, Daniel in chapter 7 begins to have these dreams and visions. And in this, it begins to reveal the future to him. Now, also to break up the book here, uh, here's a little infograph from the Bible Project. And in this infograph, you can see that the book of Daniel is broken down to three main sections in two different languages. Chapter 1 is written in Hebrew, which is the language of the Jews. Chapters 2 to 7 are written in Aramaic, which is the broader nation's languages. And then chapters 8 to 12 are written back in Hebrew. So the center part that we're just finishing up, because it is written in Aramaic, is pointing towards that this was meant for all the people outside of Israel to know and understand and respond to. And here begins the vision of Daniel. These visions that Daniel is having are pretty crazy. And they're to reveal the future plans of both Israel and the world. And this isn't about an individual. This is not saying this is God's plan for you or for me. This is God's plans for kings, kingdoms, empires throughout all of history. So let's begin in verse 1. If you want to follow along, you can pull out the Version app. We have all the notes on there under events. If you just want to read up here, that's fine. If you have a paper Bible, we are in Daniel chapter 7, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Earlier during the first year of King Belshazzar's reign in Babylon, Daniel had a dream and saw visions as he lay in his bed. He wrote down the dream, and this is what he saw. In my vision that night, I, Daniel, saw a great storm churning the surface of a great sea with strong winds blowing from every direction. Then four huge beasts came out of the water, each different from the other. 
The first beast was like a lion with eagle's wings. As I watched, its wings were pulled off and it was left standing with its two hind feet on the ground like a human being. And it was given a human mind. Then I saw a second beast and it looked like a bear. It was rearing up on one side and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And I heard a voice saying to it, get up, devour the flesh of many people. Then the third of these strange beasts appeared, and it looked like a leopard. It had four bird's wings on its back and had four heads. Great authority was given to the beast. Then in my vision that night, I saw a fourth beast, terrifying, dreadful, and very strong. It devoured and crushed its victims with huge iron teeth and trampled their remains beneath its feet. It was different from any of the other beasts, and it had ten horns." As I was looking at the horns, suddenly another small horn appeared among them. Three of the first horns were torn out by the roots to make room for it. The little horn had eyes like human eyes and a mouth that was boasting arrogantly. Yep, so you guys all got that? So my first point here is visions are confusing. Because <laughs> this is, yeah, and scary and and it's just overwhelming that these things are getting downloaded by God to Daniel. And think about this. I'd be asking myself, what did I eat? What happened? Like, how did I go to bed? And this happened in the middle of the night. Because these are some wild looking creatures having crazy things done to them. The first one has wings and the wings get ripped off. And then it's given a human mind and it stands up on its feet. The second one is a bear with a rack of ribs in its mouth. The third, there's this leopard with four wings. And there's this fourth, this massive beast with iron teeth. Ten horns, a little horn. Three horns get ripped out. This horn has eyes, a mouth. Like what is going on here? And this is a wild and confusing vision. I looked at many drawings over the last week of these, of different artists breaking this down. Now you're probably going to want to do a Google search right now and check it out. And I'll put one up here in a minute. Um, But I personally don't know what I'd do with a vision like this. But it doesn't stop here. It continues on in verse 9. I watched as thrones were put in place and the ancient one sat down to judge. His clothing was as white as snow, his hair like pure wool. He sat on a fiery throne with wheels of blazing fire, and a river of fire was pouring out, flowing from his presence. Millions of angels ministered to him. Many millions stood to attend him. Then the court began its session, and the books were opened. Second idea is God is a sovereign ruler and judge over all kingdoms. We'll begin to see pretty quickly that these four beasts are four different kingdoms. But now, before we get that interpretation, we see this heavenly courtroom beyond anything you could ever imagine. You cannot wrap your head around a fiery throne with blazing wheels, with a river of fire. Is that the Mullins sitting back there? They're back. Oh, I didn't, I didn't know you were in the house. The, the, the new lighting was shading you out, so... Glad to have you guys here. All right, anyways, back to the story. So, so the picture we get here is of this heavenly courtroom and all this fire pouring out of it with millions of angels and people. If you've gone down to D.C. and stood in front of the, the Supreme Court, it's a pretty impressive building, but it's nothing. It's like a drop in the bucket compared to the heavenly courtroom where God, the sovereign ruler and judge, will ultimately judge and rule and reign. 
And in the end, this is pointing towards justice will be done. Justice will be done for you as individuals and for nations and kingdoms. Nobody is going to get away for, with any wrong that they have done. Because God is the sovereign ruler and judge over all kingdoms and nations. Verse 11. I continued to watch because I could hear this little horn's boastful speech. I kept watching until the fourth beast was killed and his body was destroyed by fire. The other three beasts had their authority taken from them, but they were allowed to live a while longer. As my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that the people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. Amen? So third idea, God's kingdom is eternal. It's hard to imagine in this little section here, this horn, this kingdom with eyes and a mouth, boasting in the presence of God. Imagine the arrogance of a kingdom to think that it is greater than God's kingdom. Now just look around our current cultural context. Look across the nations of the world. Look at individuals and how many people boast and raise their voices against God. Not really understanding the one that they are boasting and arrogantly claiming that they are more powerful than. And this fourth beast, for all its power, all its boasting, it tells us it is ultimately destroyed by God. the most powerful kingdom at that time, destroyed by God. And, and we see that God allows these other three beasts to live on in some kind of form. We then see this picture of what I believe is Jesus setting up his rule and reign over all the kingdoms of the world. He is given sovereignty, honor, and authority to rule. He is the one that is put in charge forever of God's eternal kingdom. God's kingdom is eternal. These kingdoms are not, and we are called to focus on God's kingdom. Now, if you're still a bit confused, you're in good company because Daniel is still confused, and he goes to this other angel by the throne and asks for an explanation of what's going on. And this is what he's told in verse 17. These four huge beasts represent four kingdoms that will arise from the earth. But in the end, the holy people of the Most High will be given the kingdom, and they will rule forever and ever. So the question is, who are these four kingdoms? Who are these four kingdoms, and what about the kingdom of God? Well, the four kingdoms, it's pretty easy to understand the first three, because we can look back from now to the time of Daniel and see what kingdoms rose and fall, fell up to the present day time. And this also parallels chapter 2 of this book where Nebuchadnezzar has this picture of this massive statue. So we can put the statue next to the four kingdoms and begin to lay out a picture according to these passages. And then you can look a little later in Daniel in the next chapter. You can see the two center kingdoms there. So you can piece it all together in a lot of ways. This isn't just a hypothetical thing. So here we go. The first kingdom is clearly Babylon. We knew that already from chapter 2. The second kingdom is Persia. 
The third is Greece, and the fourth has many different potentials to it. One is that it was the Roman Empire, and that somehow in the future that empire will get renewed. Another one uh, says that it's the Ottoman or the uh, Islamic Empire are potential ones that are this fourth beast. We aren't really exactly sure. But no matter what way you look at what this fourth kingdom is, clearly God is revealing his plans to Daniel that kingdoms will rise, kingdoms will fall, but ultimately God's kingdom will prevail. And that picture that you see right there, that rock sitting at the bottom, is from chapter 2. And in chapter 2 of Daniel, that rock comes out of nowhere and smashes this whole statue to pieces. And then that rock grows so big and takes over all of the kingdom. And ultimately, God's kingdom will be the one that lasts forever. Now, Daniel is really not bothered by the three first beasts. I don't know why. But the fourth one is really bothering him. And so this is what he is told as he begins to push in a little bit more with the fourth beast in verse 23. Then this angel said to Daniel, this fourth beast is the fourth world power that will rule the earth. It will be different from all the others. It will devour the whole world, trampling and crushing everything in its path. Its ten horns are ten kings who will rule that empire. Then another king will arise, different from the other ten, who will subdue three of them. He will defy the, the Most High and oppress the holy people of the Most High. He will try to change their sacred festivals and laws, and they will be placed under his control for a time, time, and a half a time. But then the court will pass judgment, and all his power will be taken away and completely destroyed. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be given to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will last forever, and all rulers will serve and obey him. That was the end of the vision. I, Daniel, was terrified by my thoughts, and my face was pale with fear, but I kept these things to myself. I'd probably be with Daniel. Scared, pale, what is going on here? And this fourth kingdom, like I mentioned, is a difficult one. So many generations, we're talking over 2,000 years since this was written, closer to three. So many generations have tried to figure out, what is this fourth kingdom? Has it happened already? Are we waiting for it? Is it the in-between time? What is it? And I'll get into this a little bit later in the book of Daniel when we talk about the 70 weeks of Daniel. But for today, I believe the reason why we don't have a clear picture of this is because God didn't want us to have a clear picture of it. If he wanted to have a clear picture, he could have written down the name right there for us and said, here's exactly when it's going to happen. But he didn't. And I believe there's a reason for this. And one of the reasons is for us to focus on God's kingdom. And another reason is to show us how God sees all kingdoms of this earth. And so how does God see all kingdoms of the earth? Well, all earthly kingdoms are beasts. There is no little furry duck or rabbit or some nice little thing. These are all crazy beasts. And God sees all these kingdoms as beasts. 
That throughout all of history, yes, there's good that comes from kingdoms. There's evil that comes from kingdoms. But ultimately, they're all beasts. Even Israel rebelled against God and in many ways became a beast. Which in the end, all earthly kingdoms will come to an end. Second idea is all earthly kingdoms are temporary. They're all temporary. None of these kingdoms will last forever in the state they are in. Nations and kingdoms are part of God's plan and are used by God in many ways. But in the end, the earthly rule and reign of kings and kingdoms will come to an end. And the third idea, God is going to establish his throne forever. God will establish his throne forever. Listen to these key passages from Daniel chapter 7. He was given authority, Daniel 7, 14. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. 7, 18. But in the end, the holy people of the Most High will be given the kingdom and they will rule forever and ever. 7, 22. Then the time arrived for the holy people to take over the kingdom. 7, 27. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all kingdoms under heaven will be given to the holy people of the most high. His kingdom will last forever and all rulers will serve and obey him. And the last one is from actually chapter two, because chapter two parallels this one and it's verse 44. And it says, during the reign of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered. It will crush all these kingdoms into nothingness and it will stand forever. God will establish his kingdom forever. And as part of establishing his kingdom forever, there's a few things. First, his kingdom will not just come in the end. It is not just a future kingdom. We call it now, but not yet. That God's kingdom is here now, but it's not yet. When Jesus stepped out into ministry at 30 years old, what did he proclaim? He said, The kingdom is here. He didn't say, look for the kingdom. He said, the kingdom is here. When you read the parables, often we forget the first line that Jesus said. And he said, the kingdom of God is like. Go back through the parables and read how many start with those words. The kingdom of God is like. The main teaching of many of the parables is about the kingdom of God. And it's pointing towards a kingdom that is here but still yet to come. And what I believe that the kingdom is greater than the church, but the church is part of the kingdom. And how does the kingdom come now? Well, I believe the kingdom comes when we say yes to Jesus. When you invite King Jesus to take up his rule and reign in your life, in your kingdom, the kingdom has come to you. And then when a kingdom comes to somebody next to you, then we become the church And we are carriers of the kingdom wherever we go. If you have said yes to Jesus and Jesus is king of your life, you are a carrier of the kingdom today. God's kingdom is within you and he wants to express it through you. You are a prince. You are a princess as you heard before. And you are meant to advance the kingdom of God from the neighbors to the nations. Now I want to show you a short video of from the birth of the church and how God's kingdom has been expanding on this planet 
parallel and over other kingdoms. Check out this video. What did you see there? There was rise and falls of kingdoms since the birth of the church. And even there was kingdoms over the top of the church, but the church and the kingdom of God is not limited by borders, is not limited by rulers or who's in positions of power. God's kingdom is advancing. And his kingdom is here and now, but there's still yet to come. It is not here in, this, in its fullness, and we have competing kingdoms. We have the beasts versus God. We have his holy people versus the kingdom of the, ru- the world. But one day, there will only be one kingdom that remains, and that will be the kingdom of God. I've also heard it said that the crowns that we are given, because across scripture we see that we are given crowns as rewards for things that happen to us here and what we do for God. I've heard it said that the crowns that we are given are simply meant to lay down at the feet of Jesus in worship of him. And it's a great picture of worship. It's an incredibly splendor picture, but I don't think it's true. Because as we read here, as we just read, it says that God's holy people will rule and reign with him. Not under him, with him. Some might look at this and say that this is only for the nation of Israel and not for the church and the Gentiles or the people of God, but I believe it's a combination. I believe that some of us will have positions of power where we are given a crown because we are ruling and reigning not over Jesus, but with Jesus. He said, hey, you get Alaska. You get to rule Alaska. Maybe you get Hawaii. Maybe you get Europe in this renewed kingdom. But what we do for God here is going to echo in eternity. And I believe some of us are going to rule and reign with Jesus. How incredible is that? That you not only have a purpose here, but you are going to have an eternal purpose to rule and reign with God. Our view of eternity is often shallow and distorted and misses many of the realities of Scripture. And I'd tell you more about the kingdom, but for sake of time, you can ask me more on the side. But what I want you to hear is to focus on God's kingdom. Focus on God's kingdom and what is going to last. And how do you do that? You invest in eternity. And what you invest in eternity will last forever. Randy Alcorn said, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. (laughs) And you can send it on ahead by generosity in your life, by the way you give yourself to the kingdom of God. There's many different ways. We all have time, talent, and treasure that we can invest in the kingdom of God. And what you invest in eternity will last forever. And I believe we will see neighborhoods and nations transformed as we carry the kingdom wherever we go. This is the gospel. This is the gospel that God spun all of this world into existence. King Jesus spoke it into existence. And he created this beautiful place and kingdom 
But we as human beings decide to be our own kings and queens, our own princes and princes, and thought we could do it better on our own. But in the end, it didn't work out too well. And mankind fell. We alienated ourselves from God. We alienated ourselves from the one true king and tried to send up, set up our kingdoms independently. And this rebellion can't be fixed by trying to just do good things. So that's why King Jesus came, humbled himself, became the Lamb of God, lived a perfect life, died a perfect death, so that ultimately those who had been separated from the kingdom of God could be brought back into relationship with him through the cross. When we say yes to Jesus, when we make Jesus king of our lives, he sets up his kingdom in our lives. And we become carriers of the kingdom. And collectively as the church, we become a movement for the kingdom of God. So I'd encourage you today, if you've already said yes to Jesus, I hope you're reminded to focus on God's kingdom and that you are God's carrier of the kingdom. And if you have not said yes to Jesus yet, invite him in. Make him King Jesus of your life. Say, Jesus, I want you to be king of my kingdom so that I can go and invest myself in your eternal kingdom. God, we are so grateful for your word. And I pray that people would not be confused by beasts or any other thing that we talked about today, but there'd be a renewed focus on you, King Jesus, and your kingdom. Your kingdom will last. Your kingdom will prevail. You are the one that we have come to worship. And your kingdom will reign forever and ever. In Jesus' name, amen.